picture it. Atlanta, winter, 2022. After nearly two years of working remotely, advertising agency Fitzgo finally returned to the office. Things almost seem normal. On their first day back in February, everyone wore a name tag. Fitzgo did a lot of hiring during the pandemic. So there were plenty of coworkers who hadn't met in person before. But aside from some technological hiccups, people left the office feeling good. That was Tuesday. Wednesday was a remote day per Fitzgo's new hybrid schedule. Oh my goodness. I was actually in an early meeting. I had said, no one come for me. I had said an eight o'clock meeting. <laughs> you know, no one likes to meet before 10, right? <laughs> Kristen Andrews is meeting with her leadership team first thing Wednesday morning to go over some talent management stuff. And I'm in the meeting and, you know, I can hear my email dinging, but I'm like, I've just got, I'm leading this meeting. I'll check later. She's trying not to get distracted, but her email keeps dinging and dinging. And so after the meeting ends, I, I saw the notification that someone had tested positive. Along with everyone else at Fitzgo, COVID had also returned to the office. I'm Kamika McCoy, and this is The Return, a Digiday podcast where we explore what a return to the office looks like for one advertising agency adapting to the new, not-quite-post-pandemic normal. After months of planning, false starts, and new strains of the virus, Fisco has finally nailed down a return-to-the-office plan. Within those plans, there was a strategy for less of if someone turned up with COVID and more so when. Here's Kristen again. Okay, I know what the spiel is. Let's just let's just do these close contacts. Let's reach out to our employees. Let's let them know and be aware so they can make conscious decisions for themselves and their families. And then let's kind of talk through as a leadership team, what are our next steps, right? Fitzgo's protocol was employees either had to be vaccinated or tested regularly at least within 72 hours, to come into the office. When confronted with the positive case, Kristen reached out to every employee that was in close contact with that person. Then she let the rest of the office know that a positive case had been confirmed. CEO Dave Fitzgerald reached out to me directly. Nobody was expected to work from the office the next day. I'll be honest, it wasn't an email I was expecting to get only because that previous in-office day seemed so promising. Seeing everyone together felt like a sign things were on the up and up. Claire Russell, head of media at Fisco, also got the memo. She said having a positive case the first week back was discouraging, but not a deterrent for back-to-office plans. It was what we had feared for a long time, and, and it put a lot of pressure on what is our system and what is our policy and how do we let people know while still protecting that person's privacy. And on an isolated incident, um, not great. Something we're still trying to care for within the office walls in terms of distancing where we can, in terms of making sure there's 
multiple kind of surface cleaners throughout. People are washing hands, et cetera. We're having the office cleaned every night. We're trying to do the best we can. Two years ago, a positive case sent people into a tizzy. Even with vaccinations, many were still apprehensive about being around too many people at once. But today, it seems it's just a part of life. I caught up with a few other folks in the Fitzgo office. Their responses were similar to Claire's. Here's Bryce Burton, director and editor at the agency. Yeah, it was just like, okay, well, um, well, we'll just try again. So I, I don't spooked. I, I mean, nobody came to me and says I'm terrified, you know, to go into the office. And I didn't call anybody and tell anybody I was terrified to go into the office. So I don't want to speak, or or I can't really speak on how everybody's feelings were. But uh, I didn't remember having any like, oh my god, I can't believe this happened. Conversations with people. Um, because it was more of a, well, th- that's bound to happen. Like it's going to happen. Uh, so I, it was, if anything, maybe we should have prepped a little bit more. I, I don't know. I don't see it going away, you know? So it's just one of those things that we're just going to have to, I hate to use the term learn to live with, but I mean, I think we have learned to live with it. <laughs> and Eric Arenas, the recent college grad, he said COVID doesn't give him much reason for concern, he feels confident and safe going into the office. JJ, Fitzgo's investment supervisor, told me she and her team are getting back into the rhythm. Well, as much of a rhythm as you can these days. It's funny because normal is not normal anymore or what we cons- we used to consider normal, but it, it has more of a, a consistent feel to it. So I'd have to say slow motion, but we're getting there. <laughs> Finally, I asked Kristen, would this change or even halt return to office plans? Since February, the office has had at least three cases. It happens. You deal with it and move on. Because what else can you do? So, no, honestly, it doesn't. Not yet, right? Only because we can't knee-jerk react to change it with one positive COVID test, right? I think this is going to be uh, uh, a tried and two test to see if there's community spread within the agency. And I think if that happens, maybe that's the point where we have to come back and see, you know, is it time to move forward? Do we adjust? Do we change policy? But we haven't had that as a result of this scenario. So not yet, right? Since it was the first day, that wasn't community spread. That was outside spread that came into the office. That's okay. That's going to happen. Our goal is to make sure it doesn't spread beyond that. And that's what uh, the protocols are in place for. So here's a test of those protocols. Let's see if they work. And if they do, then honestly, that is a reinforcement that we can come together twice a week to collaborate and still provide flexibility to our employees so they don't feel like they're chained to a desk or chained to an office, but that it's actually impactful and intentional for them. As Dave said, staff wasn't expected to work from the office the next day. A few folks decided to come in, including him and Kristen. It was a ghost town. What was supposed to be a celebration of the return to the office quickly became a reminder that we're not out of the pandemic woods just yet. I asked Kristen about what that Thursday was like. I actually was one of the people who went into office on Thursday. And I'll tell you, the energy on Tuesday was insane. You were there. Like, people were excited. The balloons, there was breakfast. Everyone was, like, in high spirits. I went into office on Thursday, and I will say it was definitely way less employees than it was on 
Tuesday. There was more than 10, but there definitely wasn't like more than 20 or 30. Uh, But there were employees who still came. I think one of the things that um, we had talked about a little bit when I was in the office is that everybody seemed comfortable enough. There were more people without masks than with them. Do you think that will change by the time we get back to Tuesday if that hesitancy starts to come back? I think it might. I will say on Thursday, it hadn't really changed. Um, Those who were in, but I guess that makes sense. Those who were in office were more comfortable. And so they hadn't gotten to the point where they felt to the need to mask, right? But I think on Tuesday, I think there will be more employees who do consistently wear their mask. I, I do think that that will be the case. I don't know if it'll be the majority though. I get the sense that there's a feeling of majority of the agency is vaccinated and that makes them feel comfortable. From what we've heard from Fisco employees, they're confident in the steps that their workplace has taken to protect them. While the staff of Fitzco stays home and waits out that positive case, we'll take a look at those workplace protections across all industries and how they've evolved to face COVID. After the break, we talk to some experts about what the future of work and the office looks like. Health and safety has always been a bedrock of what workers were fighting to protect in the workplace with unions. Hamilton Nolan is a labor reporter for In These Times magazine. He's currently writing a book about the labor movement in America. I mean, you can think back to the days of of uh, chimney sweeps and and 12-year-olds working in the factories, you know, and the process of you know, getting child labor out of the factories, the process of getting fire safety doors to be open in factories so there's not a fire that kills everybody. I mean, these basic kind of safety and health issues have always been a strong, strong part of the heart of the labor movement uh, because, you know, death is probably the worst thing that you can get at work. From coal miners getting black lung to white-collar workers getting COVID, For over 100 years, the labor movement has been advocating for safer workplaces and better health protections for workers. Coming through COVID, obviously, with with a a deadly airborne disease uh, pandemic taking over the world, automatically that came to the forefront of importance for all types of unions, unions across America, you know, and that manifested and continues to manifest itself not just in uh, renewing the importance of good health insurance, uh, renewing the importance of people having access to doctors, having access to vaccines and all of that stuff, um, which is all stuff that can be codified in union contracts, but also uh, return to work issues. You know, what is the physical workplace like? What is the physical office like? Um, you see, and you know, this has been everything from uh, meatpacking plant workers who who had to fight to get plastic dividers, you know, in their in their meatpacking plant, and retail clerks who had to fight to get plastic dividers at the checkout lines, and grocery workers who had to had to fight over mask ordinances, and and you know, people coming into grocery stores without masks during the height of the pandemic. 
All these things are things that unions have fought for throughout the pandemic and continue to fight for. And, you know, for office workers returning to the office and thinking about, is the person sitting next to me infected with COVID? Has that person had a test recently? Has that person been vaccinated recently? Is that person a proper distance from me? What is, what is my company doing to keep me safe as I do my job? Fisco's COVID safety protocols meet the industry standard, i.e. routine office cleaning and space to social distance. If someone does get sick, which someone already has, anyone who was in close contact with that employee is notified, and the person who tested positive quarantines for five days. Like a number of other companies, Fitzco rolled out unlimited PTO, giving employees a little more flexibility when it comes to sick days. But across the country, that flexibility and those protections may not be enough to convince workers that it's time to come back to the office. The return has been a point of contention for some companies, where employees have pushed back, quit, or simply refused to come into work. Here's Hamilton again. You know, the pandemic was really interesting in terms of labor because kind of overnight it made every workplace in America into a labor story. And there were basically two kind of overarching stories. Um, and one of them was, you know, I suddenly am either out of work or I have to work at home. And this is, you know, uh, very different for me. And, you know, returning to the office has been such a big point of contention because so many people found out that they liked some things about working at home. You know, you don't have to commute for for instance. So overnight, you know, there were millions and millions of white collar workers in America who were saving an hour or even two hours out of their day um, by not having to commute. Now we're kind of coming into this period when the demand to return to office is becoming a major point of contention between them and the employers because uh, employers essentially are sitting here with expensive commercial real estate leases and saying, why are we paying all this money for these expensive offices if nobody's going to sit in them? And then you have all these employees saying, we actually like working at home. And in many cases, there's also a, a, a health and safety concerns for the employees, which a lot of employers don't want to listen to that much. And so that's kind of where we are right now. And it's, it's definitely going to be a big issue. And it already has been a big issue in a lot of workplaces. By spring of this year, at least half of U.S. companies wanted workers back in the office five days a week, according to a Microsoft survey. There was a top-down push from some of the nation's most influential leaders to have staff return to the office. At Apple, CEO Tim Cook outlined plans that employees would come into the office on Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday and work flexibly on Wednesday and Friday, according to Bloomberg. Companies like Goldman Sachs and Netflix have been promising a return by this fall. Tesla CEO Elon Musk allegedly told employees to come back into the office or quit in an email that made headlines. Across the working world, what started as will be fully remote until further notice quickly became, we need to collaborate in office, in person, a few times a week. But when will companies fully commit to the return? And when they do, Will employees follow them? 
there was a, a a way of thinking for some time that um, companies would be able to just kind of quickly bounce back from remote work and just right away reinstate their old ways of doing things. And bosses have heard a lot of resistance from workers to that. I'm Emma Goldberg. I'm a reporter at the New York Times covering the future of work and the culture of the workplace. Emma Goldberg has been the future of work reporter for the New York Times since November 2021. She's written about the ebbs and flows as employers have gone back and forth on their return to office plans, especially as new variants have emerged and employees became more and more comfortable working from home. And part of that, I think, is also heightened because of the dynamics of the labor market right now. Like for a long time, there, there's there's been a, a labor shortage. There's this um, great resignation, which has really been more like the great reshuffling of people jumping in between jobs, looking for higher pay or better benefits or more flexibility. So workers do have a lot more leverage than they have conventionally. That's kind of paved the way for a conversation that's a lot more even, where workplaces actually have to listen to what their workers want. And, and so I think whatever the next couple of months and next couple of years look like, I think workplaces are going to have probably more success if they listen to what their workers are saying and asking for, particularly in this moment when workers do have the ability in some cases to walk away and find a job that does listen to them. One of my favorite pieces that you wrote is a full return to the office does never work for you, which incredible headline, um, where you called return to office plants a game of chicken. I'm curious, with your reporting, is there any idea that you're getting of who will win the game of chicken or if this is a game that ever ends? That's the kind of million-dollar question right now. And I think it's it's going to play out differently by region. Like, San Francisco has far emptier offices than Miami right now, for example. So it's it's something that definitely varies geographically. And a lot of bosses are also pinning their hopes on Labor Day. I think a lot of people are eyeing the fall and they're saying like, okay, maybe this is the time people finally come back. That being said, I think some people have deja vu because we've heard that before. Like I remember in December, I was covering a lot of companies that had planned to bring people back in January and then Omicron started to surge and and they delayed it again. So there's been a lot of those instances that um, companies thought was going to be the moment, the inflection point when people actually came back and it didn't exactly play out that way. Like best laid plans are, you know, sometimes still a challenge. Fitzgo and companies like it seem to have found a sweet spot in returning to the office two days a week. But for other companies, it has been a battle. Apple walked back its three-day-a-week return-to-the-office policy to just two days a week, according to an article in New York Magazine's Curbed. While the company says the walkback was due to spiking COVID cases, the article points to employees not wanting to come in that many days per week. Meaning, as the article claims, the five-day or even three-day work week simply doesn't fit into the new way of working. There's a multitude of reasons why companies' return to office plans are not working. For some, it's a fear of COVID as cases rise and fall with each new variant. For others, it's not wanting to make the long commute to an office. Back in December, I talked to several people with severe menstrual cycles who said they'd found solace in working from home. One of them went as far as to say that if there was a permanent return to the office, they'd start looking for another job. 
that person isn't alone. Consider the great resignation, or great reshuffling, in which work from home is considered a job perk that many are seeking, in addition to generally more flexible working environments. While the pandemic hasn't been easy on any of us, it has really made us reconsider our values when it comes to work-life balance. That means a little extra time to prepare a meaningful lunch or throw a load of laundry in the wash and spend less time commuting, especially as gas prices continue to skyrocket. For me, as a woman of color, it means less time making my hair workplace appropriate. If I'm in between styles, it's easy to join a meeting with my camera off. Thank God. According to Emma, there's no one company that has perfected return to the office plans. That's not to say they haven't tried in some pretty flashy ways. In April of this year, Google employees got a private Lizzo concert as they returned to the office. Some companies have reportedly rolled out free food, fitness classes, and more to get folks back to work. Emma says while the perks are a draw, they're not the draw. I think that there has been a lot of kind of jadedness toward the free food idea after some time. You know, there was some excitement at first about like, oh, free things, inflation is going up. That actually might be helpful for people. But at the same time, I think that a lot of workplaces have realized that um, whether it's free food or a concert, the more important aspect is that those kind of things get people to come in on the same day at the same time. So I think the bottom line is that most people I've spoken to do not want to go into an office if they're going to be sitting at their desk on Zoom with people who aren't in the office. So I think the most important element of effective RTO plans has been coordination to make sure people are showing up at the same time and they're actually going to see their coworkers. Because whether it's free pizza or a concert, I think the bottom line is that people want to know they're going in on the day that their teammates are and they're not going to be sitting there alone. The pandemic upended a lot of what we understand about how, when, and where work is done, including what role the office plays. By making Tuesday and Thursday mandatory days for in-office work at Fitzco, CEO Dave hopes it'll make the time spent together more meaningful. So once a month, the Fitzco leadership team hosts a lunch and learn, bringing in different Atlanta area companies. Every Thursday is happy hour, giving staff the chance to socialize. According to Dave, the office used to be a place where you just got stuff done. Now it's a place where you build culture a cultural center. Here's Emma again. Definitely. I think that is one of the greatest sentiments I've heard from managers is that they've gotten the sense that they need to earn a commute. So if a commute costs, you know, your valuable time and definitely costs more than ever money right now, like with gas prices especially, then you have to make it worth people's while. And the number one way that I think most companies have been able to do that is by um, ensuring that when people show up in the office, they have really um, meaningful time to to spend with other people, like forming relationships. So I think that the biggest um, challenge for companies has been when workers come to the office and then don't feel like they see other people on their team or don't feel like they know how to spend meaningful time together because then they feel like they may as well have been at home or maybe they would get more done. I think it's it's been most effective for, for companies when um, there's either like lunches or meetings or brainstorming sessions or just like 
time together in person that feels to people like it deepens their relationships with one another. That time spent together in person is invaluable for Eric Arenas, one of Fitzgo's media planning associates. It's his first job, meaning in-person communication has been a real selling point for him in returning to the office, whether it's going out to lunch with his coworkers or tapping his boss on the shoulder with a quick question. He told me that local vendors reach out to the Fitzgo team regularly with lunch and learn, happy hour, or event opportunities. That's one thing that we really weren't getting while we were remote, or at least not as often, but now it's like every week there's something new. Earlier in the summer, a vendor invited the team to Putt Shack, a new indoor golf course walking distance from the office. So that's one thing that I've really been enjoying. And I, I like that going into the office has allowed for me to experience that. It's not just the internal relationships at Fitzco. It's building relationships within the industry at large. The one thing Eric says he wasn't getting with remote work. The fact that it's only two days per week, giving him Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to work from home or from the bed, is just the cherry on top, he says. Early in your career, that kind of thing matters. I remember popping into my own editor's office with a quick question or going on coffee runs with my coworkers. Those small interactions made a big difference, not just in being able to network, but to navigate the industry as a whole. For Eric, Fitzgo, and others across the industry, it seems the future of work is rooted in the flexibility of a hybrid environment. Here's more from Emma. I think that what we've learned from the past two years is that a lot of the assumptions about the way the workplace had to be structured um, just simply weren't true. Like, I think people had this idea that you got in your car or on a subway and you commuted to the office and you sat there for eight hours a day and then you went home and that was what work was. And then uh, for a lot of people, work became untethered from the workplace. Um, people realized that their schedules didn't have to be that old, like, Dolly Parton 9 to 5. There was really interesting research that showed that people, um, people's workdays actually changed shape. So they added, like, this extra shift at night because maybe in the afternoon they were taking time either for themselves, maybe to exercise, maybe to do errands, um, maybe to look after their kids, and then instead taking a couple extra hours to make up for it in the evening. So people realize that the rigidity that used to be considered kind of this core element of the workplace wasn't a prerequisite for effective work. And I, I do think that that understanding of um that, you know, the, the old assumptions are out the door is going to be paired with a concerted effort on the part of, of companies to also figure out what of the old ways of working do we want to save. So, for example, you know, offices play a big role in keeping communities up and running sometimes, like the coffee shop down the street from the office, the, the public transit system that people rely on. So I think that th there's going to be a big question about, like, how do we save some of the the good things about the social fabric, the civic fabric of going into an office without losing the new kinds of flexibility and empathy and fluidity that have come out of our new ways of working. Essentially, the pandemic has upended everything we know about working. People now want work to fit into life, not the other way around. But as the pandemic continues, the future of work is still coming into focus with potentially more changes 
and never-ending tweaks with each new wave of virus. Next week, on the final episode of The Return. It's been six months since Fitzko first trekked back into the office. We'll check in with the team one more time as they navigate a recent surge in COVID cases, even a few more in their own office, and what the new normal looks like now that they've worked out the kinks. This is your host, Kamiko McCoy. Until next time. The Return is brought to you by Digiday. This podcast was written and reported by me, Kamika McCoy, and produced and edited by Sarah Patterson. 